Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The whoa, I just want to feel this moment edition. Sorry, Christina Aguilera. As the Bengals hit the road on Tuesday and head to Los Angeles as we get closer to Super Bowl 56. Coming up, I'll talk to a Bengals wide receiver with a unique perspective on Sunday's game, Mike Thomas. He spent four years with the Rams, and now he's in his second year with the Bengals. Then I'll talk to Robert Weintraub, who covers the NFL for Football Outsiders and writes about the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine. Finally, it's an encore edition of Fun Facts with Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play. And by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. Visit onlocationexp.com for exclusive access to the biggest events in the NFL all season long, including Super Bowl 56. Here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Cascatelli. I didn't realize that people were still inventing new shapes of pasta, but lo and behold, a guy named Dan Pashman, who hosts a food podcast, has come out with Cascatelli. That's the Italian word for waterfalls. Dan says there are three qualities by which all pasta shapes should be judged. One, sauceability. How readily does sauce adhere? Two, forkability. How easy is it to get on a fork? And three, tooth sinkability. How satisfying is it to sink your teeth into it? I'm here to tell you that Cascatelli gets an A plus in all three categories. It's the Joe Burrow of pasta shapes. Now, let's get to my guests, beginning with Bengals wide receiver Mike Thomas, the one player in Super Bowl 56 who has played for both head coaches. Mike, you were a member of the Rams when they went to the Super Bowl four years ago, but unfortunately you were injured and didn't get to play in the game. Can you describe what it means to you to get back and be on the active roster? Man, it's it's indescribable, honestly. Um, it, took a, it took a while for me to to let it all come to me like, damn, I'm going back to the Super Bowl and I'm actually playing in this game. Like, it's it's so, it's so surreal, like, the fact that I'm suiting up. And I, I can't really explain the feeling. It's just, I, it's overwhelming, I tell you that. <laughs> did you get emotional after the AFC Championship win over the Chiefs? Yes, I did. I was, I was overwhelmingly happy. Like, we really did it. Like, it's actually happening. Like, it's... It's no underdog, like Joe said, no underdog bull crap. Like we are, we, we, them, we, them guys, and we deserve this. And we showing it each week, week in and week out. So I was overly excited. We're chatting with Bengals wide receiver Mike Thomas. At what point this year did you think, man, this team's good enough to go to the Super Bowl? Honestly, um, honestly, paying attention to all our games, we always was down, uh, you know, going into halftime and, after all our games, well, majority of all our games, we always came back and, and, and got back on top and won games. And and every time I think about that in the previous Super Bowl, like the Kansas City Chiefs, when they won their Super Bowl year, they always came back and won each game. So, and when I think about that, we resilient enough that when we down, we don't panic, we don't we don't trip, we don't go crazy. We we keep our emotions, you know, intact and, and, and let's keep playing ball until 
60 minutes is over. One of the big reasons, Mike, why the Bengals are headed to this Super Bowl is the wide receiver room. It's led by Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, but all of you guys have contributed in some way. Yourself, Stanley Morgan, Trent Taylor, et cetera. What stands out to you about that wide receiver room? Just holding each other accountable, uh, setting the standard high, high as possible that we can't, there's no room for mistakes. So the more that we in the room together and setting each other, setting the standards high and making sure that we keep that standard above average, then the sky's the limit for us all. Has Jamar Chase been treating you guys to stakes? Did I hear that oh, correctly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we still got him on a little rookie, the rookie <laughs> dinner duty. So, you know what I'm saying? He's he been holding it down. Good to know. We're chatting with Bengals wide receiver Mike Thomas. When your buddies around the league ask you about Joe Burrow, what do you tell them? Man, he the, he the coolest in the game, man. Like, he got a, you know, everybody, honestly, a lot of people were telling me, yeah, it seemed like out of all the quarterbacks in the league, Joe got some spice to him. He got a little flavor to him. So, if people coming to me saying that, hey, Joe the coolest one in the, in the league right now. Cool without trying to be cool. Without trying, effortless. We're chatting with wide receiver Mike Thomas. Mike, in your second season in the NFL with the Rams, Zach Taylor was your assistant wide receivers coach. Mm -hmm. Did you ever dream that this guy would be a Super Bowl head coach someday? To be real? Nah, I ain't gonna lie. Um, <laughs> he was in our wide receiver room, so I, I have worked with previous wide receiver coach. They always never wanted to go up and beyond. They always just wanted to stay as a receiver coach. And obviously, Zach wanted more. He wanted to be a head guy. So obviously, he's doing it, and he's doing it at a, at a greater scale right now. What do you respect about Sean McVay from when you played for him? His resiliency. Uh, he was always cool. He never really raised his voice too much. He was always a cool, calm, and collective coach. And he was a, a high standard guy too. Uh, he was always forcing the details, making sure everything just was perfect. And that's what I can say about him. He was a professionalist. He wanted everything's perfect so that we can set the standard high and go in games confident and not really worried or think overthinking. So one of the challenges for the Bengals wide receivers in this Super Bowl is going to be trying to get open against Jalen Ramsey. He's probably the best corner in the NFL. What makes him so special? Um, obviously he's a, a, a bigger frame receiver. I mean, cornerback, of course, um, he's like six, two wide wingspan is long. He's a long corner. So if, you know what I'm saying? Going against long corners, ain't really fun. So anybody who can just reach out and touch you uh, across the line of scrimmage, that's, as you know, that's, you're going to have a long day. So all credit to Jalen for sure. So Mike, you grew up in Chicago, idolizing Chad Johnson. Mm -hmm. You wanted your buddies to call you Mike Ocho Cinco when you were in high school. Does mm -hmm. it seem fitting to you that you are going to a Super Bowl in a Bengals uniform? Yeah, I would say that. Um, it's only right, man. Um, uh, like you said, what the history says, it's been 30 years since it's been a long time. So I'm just I'm just glad to be a part of this history, man, to just be, you know, in the locker room with the guys, sharing those those moments and and cherishing every moment. And just, man, I, I'm just excited. I mean, I can't really explain it, man. It's just you just got to cherish those moments and, and be humble and, and understand what what you're in, what you know, what you do, what you got, what you got in front of you, honestly. I think it seems a little bit unreal to all of us, but have you allowed yourself to dream about what it would be like? 
to hold up that Lombardi trophy after winning a Super Bowl. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can I can picture what what ring finger I want the ring on and everything, man. <laughs> I can see it for sure. I hope you get the opportunity to wear it, but just making it this far is a remarkable accomplishment. Congratulations, Mike, and I appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you. Mike Thomas only has five catches this year, along with four tackles and a forced fumble on special teams. But if there's one thing we've learned about the Super Bowl over the years, it's that there are often unexpected heroes like David Tyree, whose helmet catch helped the Giants beat the undefeated Patriots. It was the final catch of his NFL career. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This year, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. In each of the last two years, just before the start of the season, I've been joined on this podcast by a writer named Robert Weintraub. Rob covers the NFL for Football Outsiders, a website that focuses on advanced statistical analysis, but he also writes on a more personal level for Cincinnati Magazine. You see, Robert grew up in suburban New York, rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals. Robert, the title of your most recent story for Cincinnati Magazine is The Bengals Answered Our Prayers at Long Last. And the end of the first paragraph reads as follows. I hope for it, prayed for it, offered to sell my firstborn male son for it. Never truly believed it. It's been about a week. Are you still having a hard time believing it? I definitely am. Uh, my son is still for sale, by the way, out there. If anybody <laughs> wants to uh, make me an offer, please do. Uh, it's it's living in this sort of netherworld of disbelief with, you know, incredible pride and confidence in the team and just giddiness, I guess, is the one word that comes to mind. It's uh, it, they've come so far and it's all been so unexpected that it's it's a better ride, I think, than, you know, had they gone into the season as a favorite or, you know, a team that we thought could even make a Super Bowl run. The fact that it came so out of nowhere and yet feels sustainable for the future really is kind of the best of both worlds. They're, they're a year ahead of time. You know, they, they kind of uh, took this great leap forward, as they said in China once upon a time. And uh you know, I think that really makes it more special than it would be otherwise. And of course, the way they've won the games themselves have been, uh, you know, hard to believe and, and make it even more of a, a too much at times of a roller coaster ride. But when you come out on the winning side of those games, it makes it so much better. And, uh, you know, I, it's just I'm still dizzy. Uh, maybe that'll wear off by the time of kickoff next week. We'll see. But, uh, you know, for now, I'm still uh, I'm walking on air. I've been saying to people, there's nothing better as a sports fan than when your team reaches this level and it's entirely unexpected. It would have been great under any circumstances. Hopefully five years from now, when the Bengals are going to their fifth consecutive Super Bowl, we'll still think it's great. But when it's completely unexpected, that's the best, right? Yeah. You know, we talked before the season started and we were just like, maybe, hopefully, let's pray they play some meaningful games in December. Uh, let's hope they have an outside crack at the playoffs, you know, and I think in the back of our minds, knowing that Joe Burrow was the quarterback, this was not completely out of the realm of possibility, but obviously coming off the injury, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know how long it was going to take for him to go back to being Joe Burrow. And I think it did take somewhere along the lines of half a season for him to do that. 
but you know the way they've then just kind of boarded this rocket ship and, and taken uh you know a flight straight to the moon has been really pretty amazing and yeah it is it is the best it can never be replicated really i mean that's the thing about it it you know that's what makes it really that much more special and then um, I just worry that if they don't finish the drill, as they say, and don't win the Super Bowl itself, maybe we have a bit of a bittersweet feeling at the end of all this, but I'm trying not to get into that mental space just yet. We're chatting with Robert Weintraub, who covers the NFL for Football Outsiders and writes about the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine. In the article I referenced earlier, you also described how you were so nervous that you could not watch the finish on TV. You went to another room. You'll be happy to know my 85-year-old mother does the same thing, so you are in good company. At what point couldn't you stand the stress? Uh, it was when the Chiefs were driving for what was going to be a go-ahead touchdown or take the entirety of the clock as it happened uh, and kick the field goal, send the game into overtime. At that point, with the ball in Joe Burrow's hands, I probably wouldn't have felt the same way. I'd have felt maybe a little bit of his confidence would have uh, you know, ebbed into my feeling. But uh, with Joe on the bench and the uh, Patrick Mahomes you know, going downfield, even though he had been uh, struggling for the entirety of the second half. Nevertheless, uh, the jelly in my knees of, did not allow me to stand up. The, uh, the you know, the, the mini stroke feelings I was having in my, uh, in my chest and head said, let's just walk away from this and uh, put your, prioritize your health over to Bengals for once in your life. And it worked out pretty well. Uh, the question will be in the Super Bowl, will I have similar strength if the uh, situation repeats itself? Hopefully the Bengals go out to about a 37 nothing lead and just cruise home from there. Somehow I doubt it, but we'll, we'll make that decision when the time comes. We can dream. There's no doubt about yes. that. Uh, we've recorded podcasts each of the last two years after the Football Outsiders preseason almanac came out. And your feelings about Joe Burrow have been clear. You call him Atlas for carrying the franchise on his shoulders. But how did this team get to the Super Bowl in his second year? When you have a truly transformative player, they're capable of doing these things. We look back and, you know, it, it happens more often than you might think. I mean, when teams have truly a great player at that position, obviously, uh, it happens faster than you might imagine. You know, Mahomes went to the Super Bowl in his second year as a starter. Roethlisberger, Ben Roethlisberger in his second year as a starter. Aaron Rodgers in his second year. When you have a guy like that, all things are possible. I mean, I, we always talked about it. We knew it. We had to, you know, so, sort of see it to believe it, maybe. But, you know, that's why you draft the guy like this, number one overall. That's why we were so happy to, you know, kind of bottom out instead of finishing, you know, 5-11 and 11 in 2019. It was like, okay, we got to crack at this sort of once-in-a-lifetime-ish kind of player. And he makes things like this possible. I mean, it, I hate to break a complicated game down into such a simple, you know, sort of factor, but... You know, it's true. We can go uh, on and on about all the little things that Bengals have done and all the offseason moves that they did that worked out pretty much entirely 100%. All the things they've done offensively, you know, to scheme around the fact their offensive line is not great, et cetera, et cetera. Evan McPherson, of course, being the uh, future 10-time All-Pro that we thought he might be coming out of college. Uh, all that's great and all of it's true, but the single most important factor is Joe Burrow and a player of his ilk not just playing the way he plays, but obviously, you know, giving some of his character and leadership and the intangibles that we talk about so much in our metric based uh, company at Football Outsiders. I sort of feel uh, like a trader talking about things like that that can't be measured, but it's clear these had an effect, a transformative effect, not just on the team, 
not the entire organization. Uh, it's what he was drafted to do. It's what we thought he was capable of doing. And he's done it already in year two. It's, it's really a fantastic, incredible accomplishment and, uh, you know, something he should be pretty proud of, I'm sure. Your colleague, Mike Tanier, wrote the Bengals preview for Football Outsiders this year, and it was not encouraging. Have you playfully reminded him of that? Oh, I, I told him next year's essay, which I will write, would just be a point-by-point, hit-for-tat <laughs> rerun of that and uh, pointing out where he was wrong. Uh, and whenever he goes on radio shows this week uh, or podcasts on Super Bowl week, I told him he's going to have to uh, go back and refer to that essay that he wrote, perhaps with a celebrity voice to uh, give it more of a, a, a Samuel L. Jackson, perhaps uh, scorn attached to the way he wrote that. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was the sort of national outsider's view of the Bengals. And, you know, you can't say he was unjustified in it. He went out of his way, perhaps, with a few ad hominem attacks and a little extra snark. But that's Mike. I mean, the point of it is the Bengals didn't have much to stand on over the last five years or so. Uh, They didn't have much success, obviously. They hadn't won a playoff game, as we know, in over three decades. And they were sort of they were doing things differently now. As it turns out, sometimes when you do things differently and you have an organization that isn't, you know, just busy chasing the same thing every other organization is chasing, that works out for you. And sometimes, you know, these things are also uh, also cyclical. I mean, the drafts were very good in the first half of the 2010s, and they took a downward turn in the second half. That's that's every team. You know, most teams go through something like that. You can't be 100% in the front office and personnel, things like that. And the Bengals were due for an upward turn in that respect. And it happened and it happened to the nth degree. And they happen to, you know, also get a chance at, you know, the great quarterback who didn't get to show what he was really capable of last year. And the fact that he went out in such a disturbing and catastrophic way uh, also lent the national media to sort of dismiss the Bengals and Burrow uh, in a casual way. who's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I feel like coming into the season, it was like, well, yeah, he's there, but you know, let's see what he can really do. And, you know, he did. <laughs> and uh, I think if Mike were uh, here now with some true serum, we would uh, be able to pin him down and say that he was a little over the top. But that's OK. I mean, you know, success is the last laugh. And uh, I've had a few at his expense throughout the season. So they have the transformative player in Joe Burrow at quarterback. But where was this team much better than the metrics suggested it would be? Yeah, obviously, run defense is the first and foremost place you look. They were top 10 all season in that respect, uh, something I didn't think was even possible, much less, uh, you know, going to happen at a consistent rate for this season. Uh, you know, the fact that they addressed it in the offseason so heavily in the last two offseasons, really, if you count DJ Reader, who had a, a really excellent season. And he, too, is pretty much forgotten about. People don't remember that he was lost for most of uh, the 2020 season, so just getting him back was a, it was a huge effect on the interior of that defensive line. And, uh, you know, the way they were able to consistently stop other teams running games, which was, you know, passing is much more of the way to go. It's much more efficient overall in football, but teams still want to kind of break you (laughs) for lack of a better word. They want to control the game through the running attack. And if you deny them that, you know, it makes obviously winning on defense much easier. The Bengals still struggled to stop the pass in a lot of uh, games this season and overall this season, I think you'd say. But the fact that they were consistently able to stop other teams running games meant that they couldn't 
the other team couldn't put away games on them. And they were, that's the reason why they were always in these late comeback uh, fourth quarter games. And they always had a chance because the other team couldn't kill the clock on them. That was a big, uh, big factor. And certainly something I didn't see coming. I don't think anybody did maybe except for the, uh, the Bengals staff and the Bengals players. We're chatting with Robert Weintraub, who covers the NFL for Football Outsiders and the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine. He is also the author of several books, including The Divine Miss Marble, available in paperback. So let's turn our attention now to the Bengals and Rams in Super Bowl 56. I know you've been diving into the advanced numbers. What are some of the keys to this matchup based on your research? Well, first of all, we'll have to overcome a uh, large gap between uh, the Rams and the Bengals in terms of overall DVOA, which is the standard uh, football outsiders stat, which measures kind of down by down efficiency. Uh, I think one thing you would obviously know is that the Bengals were not efficient from down to down this year. They were a very boomer bust team. Uh, The Rams were much better and the gap is uh, pretty large. We give the Rams about a 65% chance of winning the game. I think if you look historically to the one game that this kind of numerically matches the most, though, it's it's the 2001 game, which also involved the Rams, then in St. Louis, against the Patriots with a young quarterback who not too many people knew all that much about, but uh, managed to pull the upset and spring in a new dynasty, a long-lasting dynasty. So, yeah, that, that Rams-Patriots games, uh, game kind of matches almost exactly where this game is in terms of DVOA. Um, the Bengals, obviously, if you weight the DVOA by more recent games, look a lot better than they do in a season-long burst. And, uh, you know, funnily, the Rams have really struggled to run the ball themselves. They're one of the poorer running teams, especially on third down and in the playoffs in particular, where we just said that's the Bengals' strength. So you wonder, A, you know, how much the Rams will want to run it. I th- uh, Sean McVay's entire scheme is built around the run, so I think he'll want to. The question is, will the Bengals be able to con- continue that success against their run? Will they sucker the Rams into running it more than they want to? I think uh, they kind of suckered the Chiefs out of running it last uh, last week. I wonder if they'll do the opposite against the Rams. I think you'll also find that the Rams have you know Jalen Ramsey. Obviously, a lot of talk about him matching up against Jamar Chase. Funnily enough, though, the Rams uh, did not do a great job of shutting down enemy number one wide receivers. They were actually 16th overall by DVOA, and only three teams gave up more yards per game against enemy number one wideouts. That would seem to indicate that Chase, uh, it, you know, and I don't think the Bengals will have any fear of throwing it up to Chase regardless of who's guarding him. Uh, so, um, you know, that, that could be a place where obviously the camera is going to be on those guys and we're going to see a, a, a matchup of strength against strength. And that could favor the Bengals, surprisingly enough, according to our numbers. Bengals offensive line versus Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, etc. Certainly a lot of people are pointing to that matchup as the, the single most significant matchup in this game. What do you think? Yeah, I may, uh, may not be able to watch that either. I may have to go to another room, <laughs> curl up into a ball in my closet and just hope, you know, that the Bengals do something good. Yeah, there's no question they have a formidable front. Von Miller has done it in Super Bowls before. Aaron Donald, arguably the best player in football at any position. I mean, he's a monster. But, you know, the Bengals have had a weak offensive line or a mediocre offensive line would be the best way to say it all season. And they've mitigated that they've worked around it. I think the key is to be able to, uh, you know, even when they get behind the change, which they did like against Tennessee, they were able to, able to overcome that. I think they had 65 negative yards and sacks, but 
you know, 350 yards almost in passing. So uh, that's going to be important. They're going to have some negative plays. We saw that Joe Burrow doesn't mind taking a negative play because he knows he's coming right back at him. Uh, when they're in second and 15, it'll be key not to try and go for it all and get into third and manageable. I think the Bengals know that. I think they know where their, you know, the mismatches on the other side lie, obviously. And they're probably going to try and establish a little bit of a perimeter running game to slow down, especially those pass rushing bookends there. It's not much you can do to slow down Donald. But uh, if you get uh, Von Miller in particular worried about running to his side, things have happened that, uh, you know, the Bengals can find some success there. So it's going to be rough. Don't get me wrong. But I think that, uh, that certainly there's uh, some places where the Bengals can make some hay in that, in that part of the game, and they're just going to have to stick to it. We are recording this conversation via Zoom. You have a Bengals helmet and an old football digest with Ken Anderson on the cover over your shoulder. So I know what this Super Bowl trip means. Oh, you've got a Bengals mug as well. That's very good. I know what this Super Bowl trip means to you, and I'm happy you did not have to sell your eldest son for it to happen. Congratulations. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and I hope that the Bengals have a big enough lead that you can watch the finish live. I hope the same thing for you, Dad. Uh, congratulations for, you know, <laughs> I just want to say as a fan of your work, of course, and uh, all that you've gone through over the years trying to, you know, make uh, some of these boring games and dead games interesting in the de depths of a losing season, you get to call the biggest game there is. And I just hope you're able to watch it at the end as well. Now, that would be tough if you're not, because uh, Dave Lapham will have to take over play-by-play -play and analysis. <laughs> Great as he is, I'm not sure he's quite ready for that. So hopefully you can make it too. So congratulations. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Robert wrote a fantastic profile of Dave Lapham prior to the season. And if you haven't read it, you can find it online by searching for Dave Lapham Cincinnati Magazine. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. Visit onlocationexp.com for exclusive access to the biggest events in the NFL, including Sunday's Super Bowl. Tuesday on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network, the crew played a little game called What Super Bowl Joe? And one of the questions was, What Super Bowl Joe, when asked if he could meet anybody in history, answered Julius Caesar. The answer was Joe Burrow, and the anecdote came from the Fun Fags interview I did with him over the phone from his home in Athens shortly after the NFL draft. I included it on this podcast at the time, but with the Bengals going to the Super Bowl in his second season, I thought it would be fun to go back and listen again. Time for some fun facts with the first pick in the 2020 NFL draft quarterback Joe Burrow. Joe, I want to start with the famous cigar picture after the national championship win over Clemson, it reminds me of Joe Namath in the bathing suit by the pool before Super Bowl three. It's like the epitome of cool and confident. How did it happen? And did you have any idea in the moment how big of a deal that would become? One of our strength interns, his family owns a cigar company. So he was passing around in the locker room and we were, we were smoking them, and then they told me it was time for media. And I didn't want to just put it out and then have to relight it by myself, so I just kept smoking it. Um, and so I ended up capturing a picture. Great video, great picture. It's on T-shirts. It's one of the most popular gifts out there. Uh, that thing has become hugely viral. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is craziness. And 
Um, I don't think we were allowed to, to smoke inside, but I think the New Orleans cops let us let us get away with one. Yeah, win a national championship, you get a little bit of extra leeway. Joe, on draft night, the Heisman Trophy made a nice decoration in your family living room. How heavy is it, and how do you travel with the Heisman Trophy? I think it's about 30 pounds, 30 or 40. Um, and they gave us a, a nice little case with the lock on it that we can travel with, so nobody will take it from us. So when you haven't been able to go to fitness centers during uh, this pandemic situation, you can lift the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could. You have stated publicly that your big splurge with your rookie contract is going to be a personal chef. Are there candidates already, and what must they be able to cook? I've been getting resumes for a long time, ever since I first said that. So now, now is the time where I'm finally start to go through more. Um, I, I'd have to think about, my, my taste has been changing lately. Some things that I used to like, I don't really like as much anymore. So I think my options are pretty open. I have heard, this isn't something that a chef will be required to prepare, but I, I have heard that you have a passion for the honey crisp apple. Easily the best apple, correct? By far. Number one of all the apples, and it's not even close. <laughs> we have that in common. Joe, you have been described as being compulsively competitive. What loss still stings the most? Every one of them. (laughs) There's not any particular losses that that hurt more than others. Losing just isn't very fun. And that's why I, I like to work as hard as I can to try to win as many games as possible. On the flip side, is there a win in something other than a big sporting event that's still deeply satisfying. I enjoy beating people in ping pong. That's that's pretty satisfying. Um, we always have a a family ping pong tournament on vacation. I usually win it. You'll be happy to know if you didn't already. There's a ping pong table in the Bengals locker room. I'll be frequenting that table. <laughs> I want to go back to a game in your junior year at LSU. Seven overtimes. Texas A&M ultimately won 74-72. It's the highest-scoring game in FBS history, nearly five hours long. And you physically crashed at the end of that game. How serious was that? It wasn't too serious. I just had a little little, little blood sugar. I don't like to eat directly before games. So the last time I had eaten was lunch, and we ended up getting off the field at like 1 a.m. So that's And then I didn't eat anything at halftime, so that's the only reason that uh, I, I passed out in the locker room. When you decided to transfer from Ohio State, your final two choices were the University of Cincinnati or LSU, and you obviously made the right choice. But I understand that had you transferred to UC, there was a thought process that Andy Dalton actually might serve as a mentor or a sounding board uh, since you would have been in the same city. Was that an appealing possibility, and did you two guys ever make contact? That was in discussion, but it never really crossed my mind that um, that was going to play a part in my decision-making. You know, my goal was to always win a national championship, so that's, that's the reason that I picked LSU. Joe, by referencing families living in poverty where you grew up during your Heisman speech, you helped raise more than a half a million bucks for the food pantry in Athens County. Was that an eye-opening moment for what you might be able to do going forward for people with the platform you're going to have? 
Yeah, it really was. And I'm excited to kind of come up with some more things to help more people um, that hopefully we can do here in the next couple of years. All right, a few wild card topics for you. Your dad was drafted by the Packers and played in the Canadian Football League for five years. Your brothers played big-time college football at Nebraska, but the best athlete in your family might have been your grandmother, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she, she dropped 82 in a game in high school one time. 82 points in a high school basketball game, and I've read that she averaged 50-plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did. As you were growing up, in the driveway or anything like that? Did uh, Grandma Dot ever toss a ball? No, I've never seen her. Never seen her do it. I'll have to find out if some film of, of of her doing it one of these days. I understand that you are a huge Cleveland Cavaliers fanatic. I am. Rumor has it, I don't know if this was in the first finals against the Warriors or the second one, but. You didn't leave your room. You didn't change your clothes. Something like that for good luck. Explain. Um, I didn't quite go that far. I just wore. I had a, a, a Matthew Delvadova shirt that I wore for every uh, during every game. When you were a kid, did you have any memorable meetings with a really famous athlete? Uh, I met Peyton Manning at my cousin's wedding in California, so that was awesome. Peyton Manning attended a cousin's wedding? No. She, he was just at the, the hotel that it was happening at. Aha. Uh-huh. Do you think you resemble Macaulay Culkin? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say so on that one. I can't, can't argue that one. I think I'm a little better looking, though. <laughs> What are you bad at? Because obviously you are a great athlete in every sport that you've played. We understand you're good at ping pong. You referenced playing chess when you spoke to reporters uh, after you were selected by the Bengals. What are you lousy at? Golf. I stink at golf. I might do something I have to pick up and practice quite a bit at the to get decent. Once at the SEC media days, you used the term... Superluminal time travel. Are you a science nerd? I am a science nerd. I wish that I had more time to kind of study it. But, yeah, I'm into all those science documentaries and stuff like that. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, politician, entertainer, whomever, who would that person be? Julius Caesar. Why Julius Caesar? He was a, a great conqueror, and obviously, to do that, you got to be a really good leader of men, so I'd be interested to just spend, spend a couple days with him. All right, last thing. You attended the Super Bowl in Miami. You were hanging out with your buddy, Sam Hubbard, and I heard that you were a little bit taken aback by the fact that famous people have now started recognizing you and showing their excitement about meeting you. What's that like when you first realize, huh, my life has changed? I mean, it was crazy. I mean, there's people that you grow up watching and listening to and that are just coming up and introducing themselves to me. I mean, it was, it was, it, it's been a crazy experience so far. All right, you're off the hot seat. I appreciate the time. I look forward to meeting you in person. Yep, you as well. Fun to listen back to my first ever conversation with Joey Franchise. 
Later this week on the podcast, I'll talk to Chris Collinsworth and Bengals owner Mike Brown. But that's going to do it for this episode, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game, and by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.